Welcome to the Food Intelligence Podcast, where we explore the latest trends and insights shaping the future of food and beverage. My name is Lee Breimer, filling in for our regular host, Miriam Aniel. In this episode, we're joined by Jessica Yankel and Olivia Corrali, members of the Innovation, Insights, and Strategy team at PepsiCo Beverages North America, to talk about how TasteWise fits into their insights process. They'll share some strategies about how to respond to those challenging last minute briefs, as well as give an overview of their attribute engine, which is the process their organization uses for research and analysis. If you're an insights and research professional looking to hear from the very best in the industry, or just curious about how to scale up the efficiency of your company's insights team, this is the episode for you. So grab a glass of your favorite PepsiCo beverage and enjoy the episode. Cheers and happy listening. Hello, everyone. We are here today from Strategy to Sip, learning about how Pepsi turns insights into action. A little bit before we introduce our panelists, we'll spend some time on having them introduce some of their insight functions to us. And then we'll go into some open discussion, go through some key topics that are really top of mind for insight professionals. And uh, we're hearing it. We're lucky to hear it today straight from the pros. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce our two panelists for today. Please join me in welcoming Jessica Yankel, who currently serves as the Director of Long-Term Innovation, Insights, and Strategy at PepsiCo Beverages North America. With over eight years of experience in food and beverage, Jess brings a wealth of knowledge on product innovation, consumer insights, and strategic planning. And I wanted to point out prior to PepsiCo, Jess held some key roles at esteemed companies like Ferrero and Zoom, where she focused on developing innovative strategies for future-proof products. So thank you for being here, Jess. Thanks so much for having me. And um, our next panelist, of course, is Olivia Corrali. She is a Senior Manager of Insights, Strategy, and Innovation at PepsiCo Beverages North America as well. She just celebrated her five-year anniversary with PepsiCo, and uh, during that time, she held three roles that gave her a variety of experience across insights, food service, and marketing. And she currently leads a PepsiCo capability called the Attribute Engine, which all of you will be finding more about shortly. And through her previous experience at companies like Nielsen, Olivia brings a rich background of understanding consumer behavior, market research, insights, and analysis, and is definitely going to offer some great commentary when it comes to the successes and challenges of insight professionals. So welcome again to you both and really happy to have you here. Thanks, great. We'll start off today actually by handing the mic over to you and um, having you explain a little bit more about what is the attribute engine at uh, PepsiCo and kind of how does it lay into your insights framework? Thanks so much. I can start us off. So just to kind of orient everyone, Olivia and I sit on a consumer insights team that covers the portfolio. So we're not aligned to a specific brand or to a specific category, but we're really tasked with looking across categories and into the future to understand from an innovation point of view and sort of a, a total portfolio strategy point of view, what our marketing and R&D teams need to know in order to take action. So one of the first things that we were asked to do as part of this function was really operationalize a model for making sense of all of this new type of data that we suddenly have had access to over the past couple of years. So TasteWise being a key part of that, as well as other sources, you can see them all here. The question that we really had was, how do we make 
sense of all of this? How do we make it actionable? And how do we find a way to let all of our teams have access to it, even though they're not going to all become experts in all of the depth that's here? So there's really just two key things I want to point out, or three actually. One is we built a capability. We call it the attribute engine. It's very much human plus machine art plus science, but it's really tasked with being kind of a center of excellence for this type of data. We honed in on frameworks that were really, really actionable for our teams. So that's kind of innovation, you know, landscape that we could land all of this data into, and that could become a common language for answering a set of business questions. And that's sort of the third element. We almost productized or modularized some of the outputs so that teams knew what to expect from this so they could have, you know, a category outlook and future forecast for the category that they work on or an analysis of a benefit or a specific functional ingredient trend. And that that helped folks really understand what they could get out of this type of data. So just to kick things off, that's a little bit, you know, the capability that we're a part of and the perspective that we'll be speaking speaking from. Thanks for sharing. I'm curious, Olivia, I know I know Jess did a great job of going through everything there, but I was wondering if you had anything to add here as well. Yeah, I just did a very comprehensive review of our capability over here. I will say or add that Attribute Engine is great because it gives our our organization like a human view into the world of beverage trends, right? It allows us to talk to those attributes or characteristics that are driving beverage growth, but with a human lens to it. I know that the, the you know consumer centricity has become such a huge buzzword or term. We've even, you know, kind of shifted it a little to be a consumer centric sort of prioritization, not just the consumer lens, but the human behind it and really understanding them from their day-to-day point of view. And I think the tools that roll up and support this sort of ecosystem that is the attribute engine allows us to have almost like an always on or keep our pulse go directly and reach into sort of that consumer bank um, or human bank at any moment in time and see how consumers or humans are talking about beverages, their beverage experience, the occasion, the things that they are doing to satisfy those occasions at any point in time. We go into this suite of tools and we can see the point of view of real humans. That's fantastic. Thanks for thanks for adding that in. What I love that both of you said is really emphasizing the human element, because I think these days when you come to set, well, first of all, working at some of the biggest companies of the world in the world, and also working with so much data, we're talking about, you know, millions of consumers at a time. It's really important to understand that behind all these trends, we are, you know, have all have that human element and all have that why that motivates us to act, right? So not getting not getting lost in the numbers per se and remembering that really that that why factor. And that's something that, you know, here at TasteWise, we focus on really well. Not just giving the numbers, but that relatable data. What is What is that trend of, you know, celebration for sparkling beverages really look like on, in people's cups. It's like putting a face to the name. It's like putting a face to the number. Yes, exactly. Bringing it to life. Yeah. yeah. Bringing it to life. I like that. I like that a lot. So 
Uh, thanks for introducing the uh, the uh, attribute engine, and we'll we'll move on now to a little bit more of our discussion. We talked about these uh, these questions in advance, but happy to to hear as they come. We'll start off with a, a really important one here, especially when it comes to tackling those really difficult uh, insights briefs. So I'll just read it out here. What are Dif uh, different techniques you can use to tackle those difficult questions? And how do you make sure that the insights output really satisfies that brief? I think getting a brief in the first place would be a great start. <laughs> Oftentimes we don't. Um, and that's like shame on us, right? We haven't necessarily, we've talked about it in the past, implementing a formal briefing template or process. And we've gone back and forth. At the moment, we do not have a formal one. But I will say that what often ends up happening is we get requests through emails. My favorite is when they say, <laughs> I have a very quick request for you for the attribute engine. And I have no sense of of what quick means, of what simple means, but in their mind, it's quick and simple. But needless to say, it often comes in through an email as a very vague question. Um, and that really like sparks, it triggers the need for a, like a face-to-face -face conversation and face-to-face -face can be through Zoom, that's fine, but a live conversation to dig deeper into what is it that you actually need. Because really understanding the root of the, the question or the root of the business objective helps us tremendously. We, If we started at this one place of, of how the initial question comes in, you're really tending to boil the ocean and you're guessing a lot of times at what people mean or what they want. So sitting down, talking them through, you know, what is it that they're actually trying to achieve, but also setting expectations of what we can deliver, what our tools or the capability at Read Engine can output. It can be used for many things, but it cannot be it cannot solve every business question that comes our way and being upfront about what it can and what its limitations are, I think is helpful in, in setting expectations because there's nothing worse than delivering something that you worked really hard on and someone coming back to you saying, this isn't what I expected or this isn't what I want. And that doesn't happen often, but you know, it's really like put you back when that happens. Yeah. Maybe just to to add or to bring that to life with some kind of examples or uh, something that happens, I think a lot for us is, you know, the, the flavor might be clear or there might be sort of a, a very easy quantifiable answer to a question, but that idea of bringing it to life and really helping our teams understand what's behind it and why through pictures, visuals, just kind of giving a sense of like, what what does this space look like? It, we might have heard about a trend or we might have customers talking about a trend or leadership talking about a trend. And what Olivia and I say a lot is, you know, if the two of us, if either one of us spends 30 minutes just browsing this trend or space on TasteWise, there's, you know, we have an infinite more um, knowledge than we did 30 minutes before and how do we just transfer that over to the teams in even that less tangible way I think that's really where you know figuring out how do we pull that together connect it to what the teams are doing land it in their language or their framework or their understanding of the world and also bring it to life in that more intangible way that's one of the things that we really focus on. Yeah, those are great points. I, I think especially what resonates with me is that expectation. Whether there's a formal process for a brief or not, it's that it insights like a, a brief or a request shouldn't just be a, 
And I love the the tip for other media too, like other examples that are out there. Like where where really is your mindset? Awesome. I wanna I wanna move on to the next one because I think it's a, a hot topic for many people. And that is uh, how do you approach last minute requests? And what advice would you have for any insights professional being pulled into a brief at the eleventh hour? But we always get fire drills. I think <laughs> our company is probably notorious for them. And that's fine. We're more than willing to accommodate. We will hardly ever, maybe never say no, but there has to be some caveats and trade-offs. And again, setting those expectations, right? So someone comes comes to us in that 11th hour for a fire drill request. It's, yes, we can certainly help you, but this is what you can expect as an output. It's going to be pared back. It's not going to look as pretty or pretty at all. It might be more in the raw data type of deliverable. But hey, if you give me a week or maybe two weeks, it could look a lot more fleshed out. If Or we can do a sort of phased approach where you get something immediately um, that satisfies your initial request. But let's do the, let's do it the right way and continue even beyond maybe your deadline. And we know that this question that you have is probably going to linger past the the tomorrow that you need it for. So let's, you know, do our due diligence and continue the process and and bake it out fully as we would if we had the right timeline. But we're never or hardly ever going to say, no, we can't do this. So kind of you. Because I feel like if someone's brief doesn't have, you know, a need beyond, you know, 10 minutes from now, then maybe we should, we don't need to address this uh, in the first place, right? Or, or we missed too. our window. I, I will but agree. That, that's me. Maybe, I, maybe I'm tougher than you. No, you are totally right. Honestly, like if you, if, if you don't get around to it and it sits for a couple hours in email, there is a very real chance that there's going to be an e- another email coming around that says, you know what, change of direction, or we found a mm, different alternative, mm-hmm. or we no longer right. need that. So you are very right. Sometimes jumping on things is maybe not the best approach. Jess, do you have something to add here? I think what's really, what we've really focused on, because a big part of sort of our role has also been like embedding and building relationships through this capability, because, you know, it's not it's, it wasn't naturally part of the workflow necessarily that a team looking to answer a certain question would come and ask us. So I think to Olivia's point, there's what we've tried to do is show that partnership and support and 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 just like, hey, I know you have a meeting tomorrow. We're not going to be able to have like a fully fleshed out deck. But again, I could give you a sense of like what just what's going on there. That that 30 minutes that I could spend browsing right. or we could spend browsing together is going to make you feel a lot more knowledgeable, mm-hmm. like you're not talking about something abstract. And that can go a long way. And then, as Olivia said, like you can follow up with phase, you know, more and more layers as needed. But sometimes that's not what's needed. And sometimes mm-hmm. people it's a really good point. feel a little bit on the spot and they're like, who how do I find this information? Like, who do I, who do I ask? And they'll kind of like blast out a bunch of requests. And, and I think our role is like, can we pick that up, help them understand better what they need and then give them, you know, a sense, even if it's not perfect. That's a great point too, Jess, because sometimes it's not even like they're looking for an output. It's sometimes it's just a validation. Can you verbally confirm Mm, that what I'm mm -hmm. at here is 
legitimate and give me the confidence that when I walk into that boardroom with a senior leader, that what I'm saying is valid and true. Comes from somewhere. You're their, you're their um, emotional support insights professional in that moment. <laughs> that actually leads me into the, the next question that we have here, which is uh, maybe a little bit more about where TasteWise fits into your workflow and like how is it a valuable tool in, in that flow? Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty primary stop in my routine. A lot of requests that come across my desk will prompt TasteWise as either the number one or number two sort of stop to go validate, flesh out, get some initial reading on something. I would say our team in general is very early phase, so we're very front end. A lot of this is happening right at the beginning of of any process or workflow. Yeah. And just, just to build on that, I would say a lot of times what, what I try to do is get a really kind of specific sense of how we can use. So I, I want, I always want to use TasteWise to give me inspiration about the most kind of specific space or intersection of something as possible so that I can just understand like, you know, what's the difference between this trend and that trend? Sometimes it's not so easy to pull apart or like if if you're mm-hmm. grouping, you know, needs and attributes and and flavors, like it can all kind of look the same. But, you know, what the way that people are speaking about a certain ingredient and a, a certain category versus that ingredient and another category can really mm-hmm. illuminate kind of the spectrum or like the nuance in what we're looking at. So I just try to be really kind of when I'm trying to get an initial hypothesis of what we're even going to be talking about, I try to be very exploratory and just do a lot of different searches just to like orient and landscape in my own head. Like what exactly does this look like? It's interesting because you mentioned both the kind of big picture searches, like that kind of orientation, and then also getting down to that niche claim. So maybe the the variety between the two, which is nice. So essentially, you guys did at a really interesting intersection, the the insights function that you were mentioning, kind of between R&D and marketing. So I was just wanted to understand a little bit more about the benefits and challenges of having an insights team kind of in between those two functions and how you mitigate competing interests between those groups. That's exactly where we fall as the bridge between those two groups. And Jess has <laughs> coined this term as uh, we almost function as the Rosetta Stone of the of this sort of group of stakeholders, right? We we form oh, that I common link that. for R&D to speak to marketing and marketing to speak to R&D. So um, the more technical side that is R&D, kind of translating that to a consumer lens for the marketing team and and helping them understand bring to life, right? What the technical aspects of R&D, what they're capable of, how that makes sense from what consumers are are demanding or desiring and vice versa. Um, what we're seeing as a trend of what consumers want from a benefit standpoint, then translating that to R&D and saying, hey, this is what they're looking for, for this occasion or to satisfy this sort of or uh, desire. And what are the types of ingredients that we could use to provide a sort of, maybe it's a sensorial experience or what is the right, maybe there's a flavor that can cue something that's related to the benefit that they're looking for. So really we come as the bridge between these two groups and literally function as the Rosetta Stone. Yeah. And and also working sort of backwards. I think one of the, one of the initial insights that led us to kind of 
invest in thinking about how to leverage social data and tools like TasteWise was this idea that by really understanding what's happening, kind of the long tail where new functional ingredients are coming in and, and gaining attention and new trends are emerging, what we could sort of infer from those about where the market is going and what benefits and what consumer needs are now more and more relevant. So it's actually this really interesting, you know, just especially being a very marketing focused sort of type of, of team and, and where we sit in consumer insights, the, the language tends to be consumer, you know, more emotive and, and marketing focused. And what we really tried to tap into is like, what can ingredients and attributes tell us about consumers and how can we kind of operationalize that to the benefit of kind of both functions. That's a really interesting take there. And I think it's important to be at that cross stone. And I, I honestly love that, that coining of the term Rosetta Stone because it's about that interpretation, right? Not only how you communicate, but how it's being received too, how it's being understood. So I love that. I, I won't necessarily steal that for my own purposes, but I will definitely come back to that in, uh, when I think about this. I want to uh, move on to the next question. And that is right here. If you had all the free work time it, you wanted, what kind of more deep dives would you do? Comprehensive reviews would you conduct? And um, what would that look like? I said something controversial is that uh, I probably, in a lot of cases, it's more time just leads to more hemming and hawing or more boiling of the ocean. You almost get lost in in the possibilities. While time is certainly appreciated when someone's coming to you, you know, you don't want the fire drill every day, but there is this like great balance in terms of, let's say, five days to two weeks, that's probably like the sweet spot of timing in terms of what you can turn around, the time it would take to turn around like quality work. But I would say having all the free time you wanted or all the time in the world to get something done, at least for me personally, I don't think that it would lead to necessarily a better outcome. I think a lot of times it would What's that saying? Is it Einstein? Uh, if you gave me more time, I'd have more uh, more time to tell you the wrong ways to do things and you'd still end up with the one way to do it or vice versa. And my point is you, you would spend more time in the possibilities, but ultimately what I could deliver in five days to two weeks might be the same quality as something that took me two months to do. It's just, do you want to get lost in the details and, and the swirl of the possibilities? And that's I not. Hope. I don't know if that's that controversial, Olivia. I think that that many of us can relate to that. But I always hear that question of like, if I had all the time in the world, you know. But maybe that's maybe that's not the answer. I think maybe I work best under pressure. Not like tremendous pressure, but like knowing that there's a deadline. <laughs> if you don't give me a deadline, it's not good. <laughs> if if there's a deadline, I feel like I know this is what I need to achieve in this finite amount of time. And just a super quick note on that too. I think that's where one of the big unlocks that we had was landing in sort of a common framework and language of we we, we use the term like benefit zones or you know it, um, innovation platforms that helps us kind of it's it's almost like if you sit down with a blank slate of here's like every data point available for this entire category landscape, it's overwhelming, not just from the free time point of view, but from the like, where do I look and what do I look at? 
kind of clustering and and really landing it in that those kind of different zones or themes or trends whatever whatever you're trying to do for us has been a major um just unlock and making it more actionable and less overwhelming yeah again thanks for adding that i think that it's it's always great to hear you guys talk what are the chances that a niche segment is being missed out on since data is based on only on information available from those who are expressing it online or social media or or, or sharing it into the world so essentially what are the chances that that niche segment is being missed? I think that's honestly why we have a suite of tools that we consider in in our recommendations or our outputs, right? Like mm-hmm. we to that point of like it's only as good as what consumers are talking about. And when you think about front end or like long term innovation, those are conversations that many consumers aren't having online. Mm-hmm. Um, and I often that's often a caveat to to our to our stakeholders when they come to us with certain requests. I'm like you have to kind of think about what these tools, how they're functioning and think about like, is that really something a consumer is going to be talking about online? Are they going to tell you the ins mm-hmm. and outs of like something very specific that that is very valuable to us, but I, that's probably not conversations they're having on their Instagram or their, or, or their social media. So I think the consulting other resources, whether it's white papers, just, you know, webinars and learning from other industry leaders. Yes, it's the consumer piece, uh, the human piece and, and listening to those conversations, but it's tying it all together. And just was talking about those landing zones or these like opportunity spaces. We've done a ton of work to sort of validate them. We've actually gone through multiple iterations, not so intentionally of picking out what are those opportunity spaces that we are defining for, you know, innovation the next maybe three to five years, what are the the areas that we should be focusing in on? And that question came up, how do we know we're not missing something? And we've gone through the process now more than once, and we keep coming back to the same places. So I think it's being expansive in your consideration set of what types of information you're pulling in helps confirm that you are not missing out those opportunities. That's a that's a great point. I want to I'm conscious of time here. So I just want to have some parting words from you guys. And essentially, what would that piece of advice be if you were to speak to another insights director or manager looking to kind of optimize workflows and research across their teams? That final parting word. I feel like I've been talking a lot. Jess, do you want to Let's start with you, Jess. Yeah, we'll hand it over to you. Um, I think I mean, just I would go back to some of what we've been referencing here around like kind of having the human touch flexible frameworks and like really helping your stakeholders understand what they can get out of what you have to offer because i think even going back to the very first question a lot of times the brief will be either very specific like hey can you tell me this data point and it's like but why do you need to know that and and what's what are they actually looking for or something very broad and and general so it's like helping to educate the stakeholders on this is the type of insight i can help you with and the type of output i can help you with i, I think having frameworks and kind of examples and use cases can go a long way to simplifying just to simplifying yeah i would also add that we often have very like at least we internally, Jess and I tend to have very like high expectations of ourselves and the outputs and making sure we have this tendency to want to make it perfect. 
I think there has been a push broadly within the organization for good enough is good enough. So I think rather than spending all the time in the world to polish something and make it your version of perfect, a lot of times it's worthwhile putting something out there for the stakeholders, whoever your end audience is to react to. Oftentimes they don't have necessarily expectations in their mind of what they're looking for and whatever we give them, they trust us as the experts. Um, so whatever we give them, they pretty much take at face value and say, okay, we have confidence that this is, this is good. This is what we need. And if it isn't what they need, you have that opportunity for them to tell you what they like or dislike mm -hmm. or what is missing from it. So having sort of that inflection reflection point of, of them to react to something rather than going through the entire process and working to make something perfect when honestly it could be made even better with their feedback directing you down a slightly different path. Thank you guys so much for that insight. Really, it's like we're hearing it from the pros. So this is this is like invaluable advice and I hope that it helps you in your insights teams. Uh, we're really happy to have both of you here. We also are happy and so proud to have Pepsi as a company. Um, we've heard from Ramon before saying that TasteWise has really helped with digital transformation. And I love what he says at the end, creating more smiles with every sip and every bite. And that kind of ties into a lot of what you guys have said today. So thank you so much both for being here. It was really a valuable session. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. All right, have a happy holidays, everyone.